Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. And I'm Ann Bonney, redhead impersonator and an expert in change management and leadership that people want to follow. Okay, Ann. What are we going to talk about today? You know, last week we talked about, um, we ended up kind of glancing off of this. And so I figured we'd hit it today. How about talking about having to hire the less than ideal candidate because it's the least worst candidate? Um, sure. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> James over there going, this is the least worst topic that was on our list today. So we're going with it. Well, I mean, I think the least worst topic that we've ever talked about, uh, no, this is the worst, worst topic was like two weeks ago. We had that one 15 minute show that we're, 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 I had a date. I know. No, I know. With, <laughs> See, we really just plan these around my social calendar. No, but I mean, this is a, this is a problem that companies are, are having right now, as they have to think about running their businesses, you know, there's so many jobs and not enough people. And so many organizations are short staffed. And so there's a toss up being made of holding out for the right person or just getting, as you called them last week, a mirror fogger to, you know, just fill the role. Like I just need something. Yeah. And you and I are of different minds on this. I know it's happening. I personally think it's one of the biggest mistakes a company can make. I think it depends on the position. Um, but I, I mean, I agree with you, but is it better to overwork your team to the point that you've got your good people quitting or at least throw them a bone and give them somebody that hopefully will work out better than you think. Well, so he, I guess here's the real question. And as we think about this is, you know, it's not just about hiring a mirror fogger, but can we take those mirror foggers, which by the way, I had to practice saying, you know, it's, it's like one of the mirror fogger, mirror fogger, mirror fogger, mirror fogger, mirror fogger, mirror fogger, mirror fogger. Um, it almost sounds like a foreign word, you know? Well, after you say it too many times, anything loses its meaning. <laughs> yeah. But but at any rate, can we take somebody who is, you know, just, you know, fogging the mirror, filling the role, right? Their only qualification is that, you know, they breathe. And can we elevate them to a higher standard? Can we persuade I, them to be a better worker? Well, and this is and this is the key, I guess, in this hiring situation where you have a pile of resumes and none of them are exactly what you were looking for. It's really, I think, looking at, okay, cool. What's the most important qualifications? Who has the most of what I need? You know, and I would say going with attitude, going with that drive, going with a level of motivation um, over, okay, this one has the skills a little bit more than that one. You know, I feel like it's easier to teach skills than it is to teach attitude. Well, we're in a complete agreement here. In fact, I wrote a, a blog post article probably two years ago at this point. And I'm like, and the title was resume is almost the last thing you look at. 
I personally, the only thing I ever wanted to see from a resume, when I looked at her resume, I'm looking for two things and two things only. One, how accurately is it done? I don't mean in terms of the jobs, but typos and spelling errors and things of that nature. Um, somebody who doesn't put enough attention into a resume, and even and even if they're not personally capable, finding that person who is and having them look at it. That's number one. You know, I, I, and I, I'm no kidding. I've received cover letters that talk about people's attention to details that have no caps and punctuation in them. <laughs> Uh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's number one. The second thing, there's going to be three. The, the three is sometimes, and I'll explain that in a sec. The second thing, and the most important thing I see, I look for in a resume, well, probably equally as important. How frequently are they changing jobs? Uh-huh. Right. If I see, and I've seen these as well, I've seen people with 10 jobs, no job lasting two years or more, Right. Maybe one job hits two years, but every six to 12 months or six to 15 months, somebody's changing jobs. Chances are that's a six month investment, not mm -hmm. worth my time. Those mm -hmm. are the two things I look at it every time. And then depending on the position, if there are specific hard skill sets that are very different, and this is the key, are difficult to teach or impossible to teach. Right. For example, if I'm hiring an accountant, you need an accountant degree. If I'm hiring an engineer, you need an engineering degree or engineering experience. And so there are certain jobs like that. Other than that, though, I don't care about the resume. I care about what you talked about. What's their attitude? What's their mindset? Right? The soft skills. Mm -hmm. Do they share my company values? Do they share a passion for what we do? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, exactly. And when there is that job change frequency, asking about that. And finding out what is the reason, because not just the reason that they they give you, but how they give it to you can also be indicative of, okay, cool. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, you know, it's a short-term investment or, which may be fine again. And that may be something that I just need somebody in here. Even if it's six months, I need them, um, you know, but it's really being clear of on that yourself. Yes. And be aware that chances are, and it's not a hundred percent. But be during your interview process, you want to dig into this. There's a high probability that they don't get along with other people in some way. Mm. There's something going on there that's going to that causes friction, whatever that might be. And you really need to look for that closely and find out is that something I can deal with? Mm -hmm. Well, exactly, and and that's. I love asking, you know, tell me about your old boss or tell me about somebody that you worked with in the past. I love the whole, tell me how it was, because you can also get a lot of information from that as well, um, rather than just the ideal answer that you know they know you want. Yeah, I, I, I actually take that a little one step. Tell me about a time you disagreed with your old boss or a former boss and and how that came yeah, about. Exactly. Tell me about a time. Tell me a story about your past, you know? Um, yeah, because you're going to learn a lot from that kind of thing. Well, and again, it goes back to, okay, what do I really need? If I, I don't have my ideal candidate, what is desperately important? Okay, I need somebody for the next six months while I'm still, you know, interviewing. Um, and then what can I provide as far as hard skills, as far as training, as far as supervision to make 
sure that this less than ideal candidate can perhaps, as you said, be brought up to the standard that I need where I'm going to be like, oh, I'm glad I have that. So that really becomes an interesting because you keep talking about the ideal candidate. In your mind, what is what what does the ideal candidate look like? Well, I mean, it all depends on the job. It totally depends on the job. Um, I think there are certain things in my in my world that are not job description dependent. Okay, now the, there could be some additional things based on the job, right? Uh, you know, but for example, do they share company values? If they don't share the company values, that's a no go. Period. Mm-hmm. So they have to share the company values. Are they excited by the company's purpose and passion and mission? Okay. Now they don't have to be excited by it. And they can't be indifferent to it. That in my, or actively right? dislike it. <laughs> or actively. So they certainly can't actively dislike it. Right. Yeah. Maybe I could, maybe in some jobs I could put up with indifference. Maybe. Right. So that's one of those. Right. Mm-hmm. Then, then I look at the soft skills involved. Right. And, and, and do they have most of the soft skills that are required for the position they're in. Now, what's interesting about soft skills is that ones you don't have, you can learn. Ones you're indifferent to, and you know, I'm talking about using assessments, you actually can't get better at. Right. They, they, if you're not willing to look at the situation and try to do something different, you're not yeah. going to do anything. Right. There are soft skills that you don't have and you can get them, but there are soft skills that you have and you're indifferent to, so you're not really good at them, you're not gonna get better at them. So right. So again, where do they fit in and can I can I work around that somehow? You know, mm-hmm. give somebody an assistant, depending on the position where maybe that calls for, so they can do the things that this person may not be strong at, right? And then, as I mentioned earlier, now I'm down to the hard skills, and how long would it take them to acquire them if they don't have them? Or does it require some advanced degree or something else outside of our ability as an organization to provide to them? Right. Yep. And really looking at what investment can I make in this person to get them to where I need them to be? Yeah. I remember and- years years ago, I worked with a MSP, managed service provider. So this is a uh, IT service company that becomes the outsourced IT department for companies that just, you know, even bigger companies, they can't have all the expertise unless you're enterprise wide, you know, a lot of, you know, big, small companies, you know, $50 million companies, they may have two or three IT people, but it's not, not enough specialization. And so we ended up hiring, we're looking for a a technician and they have to be well-rounded as you can imagine. And we ended up hiring a guy who had been a cop and something else, I think he was military and then a cop and had just gone through you know, IT tech or one of those schools and was working as an intern as he finished up with his degree in IT, but he had all those other requisites. And so the day he joined the company, he didn't have the hard skills other than some basic desktop stuff that you know a, a really gifted amateur person might have. Six months later, though, he was a rock star. Mm-hmm. Because he had all the other intangibles that I talked about. And so it's now about if you're hiring somebody who doesn't have the hard skills, you know, how do we now create the environment for them so that they want to thrive? So they're persuaded to do better and step up. 
Well, and I think that's also key. In this day's market, you might be thinking, oh, crap, I didn't just I didn't find the person exactly that I was looking for. I got this one. Well, I think it's really important in that moment to turn your attitude around as well to say, all right, cool. How can I get this person to in six months be exactly what I need with a great attitude and great moving forward? And, and that and that comes from you. Like you said, how not you personally, but you as the the, the leader, how do I persuade this person to be totally on board with this thing that they might not be completely qualified for, or they may not seem as excited about it as I would have liked them to, or they don't have, you know, whatever it is, make sure that once they're in the door and you've made that commitment to them, that you are giving them the best chance to thrive and to become the ideal thing that you want. Yeah, and, and this is the ultimate challenge of leadership because what we're talking about is finding that diamond in the rough, right? Finding that gem in the ground that when you chip away the dirt and the shell and all the rest of the stuff around there and you polish it up, you have this shining object that is just beautiful. Yes, and is helping you move your company forward in a really positive way. Exactly. Yeah. And everything that we talk about is how do we lead in a way? How do we persuade them to be the best they can be? So when you're looking for that diamond in the rough, what are the, some of the tools you use first to uncover them, to identify them? And then, uh, and then perhaps we'll go to now that you've hired them, how do we now bring them up to speed? Yeah. Well, I mean, what, once I've got them, I really like to focus on intrinsic motivation. How do I figure out what's going to make this person feel really good about doing a good job here? Is it recognition? Is it appreciation? Is it the opportunity to learn? Is it the opportunity to feel part of a team? All of these things make people feel good on the inside and are going to make them want to stick around, want to learn, want to do the hard things to get to that point that you need. Yeah. I love that intrinsic motivation, which I call inspiration, right? And, and I think we've had this conversation before. For me, I differentiate between motivation and inspiration. Motivation, I think of as external. Mm -hmm. hey, if you do this, you'll get this carrot, right? Inspiration is internal. They want to do it for because it fulfills them. And then the question just, be, you know, an inspired person you need to guide, a motivated person, you constantly have to feed them the carrot. And that's, you know, I'd rather not have to do that. Exactly. And the carrot needs to keep getting bigger in that extrinsic motivator, which is what you're talking about as motivation. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because at some point you're like, oh, carrot again? Right. Exactly. Oh. Or eh, I'll just wait. They'll give me a carrot. I mean, I do that with CS. They send me a 40% discount offer every week. Like, why am I going to go there when I don't, I know next week I might get 40% off. Right. Now yeah. 40 is not even enough. I want more. <laughs> right. Because that's 40. extrinsic motivation. Right. 40, 40 becomes the standard. I have, so we have a bunch of feral cats here and we put out cat food and then they get cats cat Cats are classic at this. Go ahead. <laughs> and they get cat treats. And they, they literally at this point, because, you know, they're a couple, some, some of them are a couple years old and it's like, uh, it's to call it a treat is a misnomer. It's not a treat when you get it five times a day. Cats are like, hey, poo -poo, you treat. Yeah, exactly. Hey, change it up. I'm tired of this. Yeah, exactly. Give me some <laughs> bacon. 
well, we're going to go to bacon. Well, and, and this is and this is one of the things, and and you know, really thinking because it is, especially these days, it's tempting to just say, hey, we'll pay him more, hey, just so we can get him in the door. But getting him in the door isn't enough because the guy across the street's going to be doing the same thing again, and when they pay ten cents more an hour or whatever, you know, people are going to be like, all right, cool, now I'm going over there, now I'm playing the whole, whole cell phone game, right? Yeah, and of course, you bring up something or you alluded to something that you know we're talking about training people up. And one of the things I hear from my clients all the time is, oh, so I hire somebody and I train them up and then my competitors are going to take them. Right. And if they felt good about the work they were doing with you, if they felt like there was more growth opportunity, if they felt like there was, you know, I'm part of this team, I'm making a difference here, my work matters, they're much, much, I'm not going to say they're not going to go across the street, but they are so much less likely to leave. Absolutely. You know, um, and studies show time and time again, year after year, that people don't leave for money. They may use that as their excuse. Oh, I'm getting another quarter, a nickel an hour or whatever it might be. But it's not that. It's the very things you talk about. They don't, A, they don't they don't feel valued. They don't feel like they're contributing. They don't understand how what they're doing is helping the big picture, right? They're not, they don't have a, a say in their own you know, livelihood, all, all of these reasons, it, it basically all comes down to bad leadership. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so these days, as you walk, maybe you walk onto a team that wasn't the people that you would have selected, or, you know, you have to settle for hiring people you weren't selecting. Make sure you are not using that as an excuse for these people not thriving and not being great at their jobs. You know, you just popped in mind, um, and something I talk about in my training that I, I got from Michelle, um, you know, uh, and don't freeze people in a story. In other words, the story is I hired somebody who's less than ideal. Yep. Right. And so, you know what? They should be thankful they got a job because they're less than ideal. No, you should be thankful. And frankly, if you do, if we do our job and we hire those diamonds in the rough, or even if we don't think they're the diamond in the rough. Just view them as a diamond. Our, Assume they're the diamond in the rough. Exactly. Right, right. Let's just, let's, let's knock off some of those edges. And I don't mean in a violent way. I mean, but let's, let's help polish them. How's that for better imagery, right? Let's get them polished up yeah. and, and create an environment where they want to be, you know, their stories every year it comes out with their, you know, top 100 companies to work for. And those companies in any time have more applicants than they have positions. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because their friends are saying, or their employees that work there that love it are saying, Bob, you got to work it. Come apply for this job. Oh my gosh, you got to work here. Totally. Yeah. And by the way, I, and you know, I don't have any data back into up, but I'm pretty comfortable. What I'm going to say is going to be true. We're not talking about, you know, I'm going to provide them three meals a day and they're going to have their little nap room and, and, you know, I'd work there. Well, you would if the other pieces are in place. Yeah. Right. Totally. But if that's all you're doing and you're not creating an environment where people actually get to stretch and grow and be part of this, something bigger. Um, right. Cause you hear this all the time in the tech world. And I was, as I was in, um, the Bay Area uh, doing that program earlier this week. And, you know, that's an area where that's sort of the norm around there. The, they have a meditation room. 
mm-hmm. and and all these other you know places and they bring in meals and they feed you and you need to do that to compete and so if everybody's doing it that's not keeping people there right exactly it's the it's the it's the treat that you get five times a day that you start to expect you're like where's my treat right that's exactly what that is yeah yep yeah well, and, and one of the things that you always say is you only hold people accountable who you know are competent to be able to do it. And so making, see that brilliant, you, he's had a little glow. He was like, oh, I'm smart. You know, but it's really important as we're assuming these people that are coming in are the diamonds in the rough, making sure that we're communicating that belief by holding them accountable in an empowering way. Yes. And, and the actual phrase, so if you're going to quote me, is we only hold people accountable that we think are capable. That's the word. I knew it was a word that like fit with the, you know, turn on right. the table, alliteration, yeah. wordplay thing. That's okay. I, I love, it up in the moment. I'll get I it better am, next time, Dave. I am so appreciative of the effort and, and the fact that it's stuck with you. So trust me. But it's like, I always have my audience yelling, punch it, Margaret, because that's like, a big saying and I get them yelling it and it means, you know, like move, even if you're scared, do something. And oftentimes people are like, yeah, punch it, Martha. Or (laughs) Margaret. And I'm like, that's awesome. (laughs) It's just like, yes, you get the point. It's that's the point. Yeah. By the way, I need a, I need a phrase like that. You know, our our, our friend Waldo has that where he has people push it up all the time. I I need something like that. When somebody yelled it at me, across the hotel lobby uh after my keynote they were like i'm like i need to get stickers made yeah absolutely good picture of like martha punching something it's margaret it's not martha (laughs) (laughs) i even tell the uh i even tell the audience that it's a story about my grandmother whose name is margaret but her name's martha and that's okay you can kick it, Martha. Whatever. So, so it's Margaret or Martha? It's Margaret. Okay. So what's the story? Margaret? So what's the story? My has <laughs> nothing to do with this episode. But my grandmother, my dear sweet little English teacher grandmother, was a very slow driver. And when my brother and I were teenagers, we lived with her for a summer. And my brother was just learning how to drive. So he's 16, I'm 14. And my grandmother would never let him drive. And every time she came to a four-way stop, she would come to a complete stop, let all the other people go, and then make eye contact with everybody who was to be waiting to make sure they knew it was her turn. And then she would ease into the intersection, continuing to make eye contact with everybody to make sure they knew that it was her turn until finally she was through the intersection and she would speed up. And my brother and I were like, it would, I mean, you think about two teenagers and think about it. Me as a teenager is as terrible as you think that it might've been. And we were joking about it one night in, in his room. And, and he said, Anne, it takes everything in my power not to yell. Oh shit, Margaret. And we thought that was the funniest thing ever. Um, so we always wanted to yell it at her, but we never did. Oh, I love and it. So now I work into my keynote so I can yell it all the time. Yeah. So yeah, at some point you got to share with me what the lesson to the audience is for Punch It Margaret. I'm sure it has nothing to do with hiring people, but I, it's just, you've had me now at 
punch it. Exactly. It's a, it's in change when when it's time to start dancing in the discomfort zone, when you start to realize I have to do something now oh, because don't. I'm uncomfortable. I'm out of my comfort zone. I got to go. I got to go do something. Right. Don't we just punch ease. it, Margaret, to give us that impetus to move your Don't Don't just ease into that change intersection. Punch it, Margaret. Punch it, Margaret. I like it. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah. So when you're hiring those people that may not be a perfect fit, right? Don't just ease into the intersection. Punch don't it, Margaret. Don't just ease into the training. Punch yeah. it, Margaret, yeah. as though they are your ideal client. Commit. Commit to them. Kick it, Martha. Yeah. Kick it, Martha. It <laughs> Punch works. it. Kick it. Gouge their eyes out. <laughs> well, I always tell them, I'm like, make sure you add the it. Because otherwise you're punching Margaret and that's my grandma and that's not cool. <laughs> I like it. Oh my God. That's awesome. We have a good time. All right. So um, um, on that note. Yeah. Does Margaret fog a mirror? Uh, she does. Well, <laughs> no, actually she doesn't anymore. No, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't think about that. Sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. We're laughing about death. I can't believe it. Um my grandmother and i'm a 50 year old woman so i mean you know not many of my my uh my generation have their grandparents anymore who who, who still acts like a 15 year old girl i might add i <laughs> amen i'm like i'm back in that car yeah all right what else do we have for our listeners who might still be with well, us you know we- i think we've devolved plenty dave i think maybe they've had enough of us <laughs> no but i think that the, the main message to take away from this is we are in a challenging hiring scenario right now in the workplace. You you may be understaffed, you may be looking for people, and you know you may end up making that decision for your company that it is better to get the less than ideal client and just have somebody here than to hold out and overwork our awesome people who we need to stick around. And so making sure that we are intrinsically motivating those less than ideal clients once they're not clients, I'm sorry, um, hires, once they're in the door, making sure we are like, this is a diamond in a rough that I can't even see. And we're going to make sure that we give them the best chance to be that diamond for our company. You know, and I just realized why we started out this and I'm like, you and I disagree. And and here's, here's where it comes from. And it's a frame. You're, combat- you're combative. Because you're a 15-year-old boy. (laughs) Am I that mature? (laughs) Well, that's an excellent point. You're 11. Thank you. Well, not even a teenager. Wow. No, you're a preteen. I'm a preteen. So, so, and I think it really is how we define ideal. Right? Because for me, and I've, whether, whether, whether we have 3% unemployment, you know, and, and 10 jobs for every applicant, or 10 applicants for every job. I don't care. To me, the ideal employee are the ones who who share my values, share my passion, you know, and, and, and have whatever our minimum skill requirement is, not the ideal skill requirement. The the skills are the last thing I look to fill it in. And that's why I think even now it's easy, it's better off waiting till somebody fits those requirements in that order. And that's where I think we perhaps uh, differ in our view. Yeah, I just know from some of the conversations I'm having out there with my clients, with organizations who are understaffed and their teams are completely overloaded and they're like, we just need people. 
we need humans to come in and do these jobs. And, and so, you know, and, and I like your point of finding what is the minimum requirement for somebody and having that clarity for yourself as you're going into the hiring situation, knowing I may not find that person who is exactly ideal right now. What is my minimum requirement that I can, that I can tolerate or that I'll be able to, to mold into what I need. Right. Because, and, and this, this is the piece we haven't spoken about. Um, if you don't do that, the potential is the, the bad hire is going to cause more harm, right? That's the wrong person in that job is going to create more work, more ag, or, you know, all these other problems and you're better off slowing down your growth, right? And just doing a really good job with what you have than trying to grow with bad employees. So, you know- Well, and I'm thinking about, for example, I did a leadership workshop for a big uh, gas station company who had a whole lot of uh, uh, convenience stores and trying to keep people behind the counter to run the counter. You know, I mean, it was, it's a revolving door anyway. That's not an ideal job that a lot of people want. And so we, we were talking very clearly about how do we hire the best chance for sticking around for eight months? They were like, we, all we hope for is eight months. Right. And, and they, but they knew what that minimum requirement that they needed was. Right. I mean, and, and, and I think this is your point, right? That's not a job. That's not a career, right? So, it, so years ago, when I was in telecom and I was telling selling business phone systems, I used to have this conversation with people about receptionists. Back, you know, when that was a, that was a thing, right? And that's a high turnover job, and the reason mm-hmm. for that is simple. Somebody who gets hired as a receptionist, well, usually they're entry level workers. Usually, okay, if they're an entry level worker and they're good, you promote them out of that job pretty quickly, which means you have to mm-hmm. fill it again. Same in a convenience store. If I get hired as a clerk and I'm good, I become a, an assistant manager. Then I become a manager. Then I become an area manager. And so you need to replace that clerk. Mm-hmm. Or they're not good at what's a really basic low-skill job and you fire them. Okay, so the good ones or get they promoted. Quit. Yep. The good ones get promoted. The other ones get fired or quit, right? And then there's that rare, rare individual who doesn't care for growth. Maybe they're, you know, an older person who's just looking, you know, I just need, you know, 15 bucks an hour or whatever it is. And I'm happy showing up, right? But that's what one, one in a hundred or whatever that number is. And they're the people that might be there for two or three years. You know, they're not looking, they're not looking for promotion. They just, they just want that regular, you know, paycheck. And so a job like that, absolutely. But even then, you know, you have your minimum requirements you look for, you know, do they show, do they have a history of punctuality? Do they, do, uh, do they have the ability to um, uh, uh, honor their commitments? That's kind of the minimum there, right? And then they know how to run a register. Are they honest? You know, meaning they're mm-hmm. not going to steal from you. Done, right? That's your, that's your checklist. Right. Well, exactly. And, and just thinking about that ahead of time is going to help you be ready when you look at your client pool and, or your, I keep saying that, uh, your talent pool and you're like, wow, whew, it's a shallow pool. Yeah. And, and it, it might be a shallow pool that you can't say yeah. have to refresh, like, and water evaporates quickly. And you have to keep refilling it. 
By the way, I like that you call it client pool because I love the idea. And I think this is subconscious with you that, you know, as leaders, our team members are our clients. Yep. Always thinking, how do I make sure they can do their job to the best of the ability? I am there to serve, to make sure they get their stuff done because ultimately they're the ones running the ship. Yeah. All right. Well, we brought it full circle. We brought it back after a little diatribe about you know, Margaret or Martha or whatever, whatever her, name. her name is. Yeah. Just punch her. Um, oh, <laughs> and Candace, it works too. Yeah. Hey, can't wait to see you tomorrow in Chicago. Oh yes. I will see you, your face in front of my face. That never happens. Yeah, we'll be on works. the same, we'll meet in the middle of the country. You're in you're right now on one coast. I'm on the other coast. And we're going to meet right in the middle in Chicago. Everybody, we'll talk about you there. And we'll see you next week. See you next week. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. This is Dave Rosenberg. And you can find my website at LockedOnLeadership.com. And this is Ann Bonnie at YourChangeSpeaker.com. Remember... If they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them.